Hello, and welcome to Metachemistry. This is episode 48. In tonight's episode, we will be reviewing ITS Season 13. We're going to make some observations on the season. Was it successful or not? And the state of the game. Especially as the season comes to a close, we think this is an appropriate conversation to be having. But uh, before we dive into that, I, let me allow me to do a little personal reflection. I think it's important that we all, from time to time, take uh, stock of a situation, personally reflect on a game, or on a hobby, or on a career, or on a marriage. Doing these kinds of autopsies of your life help you have perspective and help you learn and grow. Hence the topic for tonight. We're debriefing season 13. So I want to reflect a little bit personally on season 13. For, for myself, it was definitely a growing season, a growing edge. I took myself out of my comfort zone, tried out some new things, didn't uh, have quite the success I had grown accustomed to in the last few years. And while that was at first startling, almost shocking, I'll admit, it, things didn't go the way I thought they would or I anticipated. I came to the realization that I'm not as good at this game as I thought I was. In looking back on the year, I realized this is ultimately going to make me a better player. Um, and so one of the things I've been trying to process as I've um, documented a little bit on our podcast is why didn't it go well? Especially, why did I struggle with Corregidor so much? Everything felt like it fit for me. There were so many things about that faction that were intriguing and interesting. It was what drew me to them in the first place. The These flexible characters, these the flexible links that you could engage in, a lot of movement skills, which I prize and value quite a bit. And I really had a hard time understanding why then it felt like I was hitting my head against a brick wall over and over and over again. And it really started to unlock for me in the last few months when I was distracting myself with a video game, actually. I don't play many video games like many of the rest of our listeners, but the one video game I regularly dabble in is uh, Hearthstone. It's a digital card collectible card game, kind of similar to Magic. And if you're not familiar, it's a turn-based game between the two opponents where it uses constructed decks of 30 cards along with a selected hero with like a unique power. And you then use your limited mana crystals to play abilities or summon minions to attack the opponent. All the classes, they have these unique cards and these unique abilities. And that helps define the class and gives them a bit of an archetype. But not only are there archetypes within the, the different classes, but then within the broader game, there are archetypes on how you can play, how you can build your decks with aggressive, control style, um, uh, one-turn kill. There, uh, there's a variety of them. Uh, for me, I have played the game on and off since it was created. I like the strategic nature of it, and I like playing it free-to-play. It gives me a bit of a challenge. I like to overcome challenges, as we've talked about. And so recently, I had, I had taken a break from... Hearthstone for about, I don't know, maybe six 
six years, at least from, con or six months, at least from constructed play, I was playing another version of the game called Battlegrounds. But I was getting a little just burnt out on the grind. But last couple months, I came back to the game and started playing on ladder again. And I found a deck, that uh, a priest deck that I was really enjoying and took it to legend the last couple months um, in back-to-back -back months. And I was having fun again with it. And one thing I was doing with the game, that I, one thing that I realized I really enjoyed about playing that particular deck was it was an archetype, archetype that was both controlling where you're neutralizing what your opponent's trying to do, but you're also setting up your win condition with a one-turn kill um, scenario that requires a lot of strategic um, planning and mapping out as the game unfolds. And I just really enjoyed that play style. And it got me thinking, it was, I enjoyed it so much, it brought, me, it brought me back to the game a bit. And then I started thinking about Infinity. And while the archetypes that I referred to in terms of control, aggro, one-turn kill, those don't necessarily map onto Infinity, it certainly helped me realize that there, as much as the game is getting more and more homogenous, I think you could argue that with the amount of pro proliferation of new profiles across factions, and their distinct, the faction distinctiveness have started to go away a little bit. Um, they still operate in certain archetypes, and they bend towards certain play styles. And when I was playing in Aleph for the five years leading up to last year, uh, I went through a, my own kind of personal trajectory or arc where I started off early in the game where I really loved to go first and I played a really aggressive style because I did not understand the game and all its ins and outs. But if you don't know everything about everybody else, it's if you have any doubt, it's good to attack. And so I had a really attacking style, but over as I grew as a player and as I developed over time, I really started to lean into not just going second, but a real counterpunching style that I th thrived on. I really had a goal every game that if I could weather your first turn and only you lose an order or two, uh, I felt like I was in a position to win really well. And I loved playing that. And I loved playing second and going second. And especially with half the missions really incentivizing you to take second turn, that also helped a lot. So when I transitioned to Corregidor, I, I, I kind of mapped that instinct or that inclination to pick deployment or to go second and play defensively and then counterpunch. And I found that I was continually being um, alpha struck and had a hard time keeping people off me. And as I reflected on all the games that I lost over that period of time, that three or four month period, more often than not, it was when I was going second. If I ended up going first, I usually won, actually. And I was playing at about a 50-50 rate over the course of those months. And so it's one of those moments of reflection for me that said, I really didn't allow myself, as, as much as I thought I was a good player and I thought I could adapt to a new faction, I didn't allow myself to adapt my play style to the way the faction really wanted to, or seemed to want to be played. Or... Maybe more pointedly, I tried to play the faction against the way it naturally wanted to be played. And that's a good moment of learning for me. And so I thought that 
it's worth asking yourself, do you have a play style? Are you able to adapt it? Are you able to tailor it to the factions that you play? Why do you gravitate to one faction over another? And what is your approach and philosophy to the game? How flexible are you with that? And if you can't be, which that might be okay, then stick to what you know. But before we get into all of that, we want to take a moment to thank Mythic Games for sponsoring the podcast. Mo Games is an online supplier of all things Infinity. As part of its sponsorship of Metachemistry, Mo will be providing a discount code to its store available to all our patrons, as well as a $40 gift card that will be raffled off to our community once a month. Make sure to like our Facebook page and join our Discord to ensure you are entered to win. What's better than games? Mo Games. So let's check in with our lineup for our episode tonight. Our lineup is Azoka, Ian, Devin, and myself. We've got the whole cast on yet again for this ITS Season 13 Frozen Roads Autopsy. So but cool. let's check in with our cast. I'm going to start with Azoka. Azoka, uh, what's going on, my man? What did you? What do you think? We've talked a little bit about the the counter punching realization that I had, and and the analogy with Hearthstone. What what are your observations having watched me go through that journey? And how would you? What uh, advice or thoughts do you have for me and others uh, going through a process like myself? So I remember when we had this discussion about Hearthstone, and it was really eye-opening for me to see uh, I, I myself am a general, generally like pretty adaptable player in a lot of video games that I play, as well as I I feel like I'm adaptable in Infinity, but uh, it did help bring to light that even while being adaptable, I do have some, I don't know how to word that. Inclinations? Patterns. I have some inclinations and patterns towards specific play style. Um, And it was really just enlightening to listen to. So for you on being an observer looking in, I definitely saw a drastic difference in performance on going second. And I don't necessarily know if it was because of the faction of Corregidor or maybe the games that we had played when I was playing them. I think at that moment I had, be, uh, in my opinion, become a bit of a better player and to be able to pick out these certain things that you were doing. But alternatively, uh, a Jaguar with a Panzerfaust, even though it's so like phenomenal, you got really good numbers you're looking for. If you get hit with it, they're, you know, you're doing a lot of damage. But even though you had that, it was just so fragile. So you're you're playing a control style with a bunch of one ones that are just going to get just get completely walked over. Um, it was kind of an attrition that, like, I would lose instead of losing one or two orders in the first turn, I'd lose five. Yeah, and that that will just dent all. It will stymie all your offense then in in your counter punch, right? Um, and if you yeah. remember, like, we would play, and I would always intentionally like give you first turn because I wanted to play. I wanted to get better at going second, but I could just never like quite turned the corner on whether or not I was, I don't know if I was choosing the right tools or maybe just, 
I don't know, but I, I will tell you if I went first, I would win almost every time. Yeah. I think that if you had adjusted your play style to it and maybe been a little bit more aggressive and taken those first turns, you would have just like you said, seen a little bit better of a performance and maybe a little more null deploying on defense instead of trying to control. Mm-hmm. But uh, Shisvasti, though, that's got a lot of control, and you're you're doing enjoying oh, yeah, that. It allows me to like go second. I could like double handicap myself, like we talked about with Devin last week, uh, or no or regrets. Last episode, <laughs> no no regrets. <laughs> Yep. So, anyways, um, yeah, it was in, it, you were definitely an interesting conversation partner through the journey. Um, but we got to move on to the rest of the cast. How about you, Ian? What's going on, my man? Do you have any observations or thoughts on this topic? Briefly. Uh, so, I think that like a lot of times that as players we we fall into patterns of stuff that like you've done this, played this way, and it has worked. And so you continue to do that. And I think, I think everybody does that to some degree. Uh, but when you are messing around with new factions or different ways to play, uh, the, the challenge is, is like actually adapting to the strengths of that faction and how they do play. And I think that's doubly hard in Infinity because of the rule set being based on uh, a common rule set where everybody's stuff uses the same rules, the same equipment. It's just a, how much access does your faction have to each particular thing and in what combinations, but everything's on a common basis for how the rules are constructed and they interact. Unlike a lot of other games where each faction is super, defined and has you know rules and stuff that only those models in that faction can do and can use and things like that it's it's a very different design ethos and because of that i think that it's very easy to fall into kind of the trap of well everything kind of plays similarly has the same you know core basis of how it's constructed or how it plays and not really kind of see like the the minutia of how little details of the particular skills and equipment that a model has or a faction has interact with each other. Yeah. So I think it's just it's very easy to fall into that not doing well because you mentally are not adapting to a different form of play. That's a great observation and I would j- just to add to that I feel like everyone's got different learning styles. I tend to learn through a bit of trial and error, getting things on the table and kind of running something through its paces, putting it through its paces and learning how it performs in different situations and not just simply theorizing my way to it. So, um, yeah, if if you don't have enough reps or enough games with a, a list or or two, uh, it can, it can, for me, at least it can be a slower learning curve than I thought it would be, but, uh, on to Devin, do you want to chime in on this subject? Yeah, I would say, I guess that the hardest part of that is recognizing 
when to continue iterating and when to stick with something. So it's easy to, you know, if you're not getting the results that you're looking for, it's it's an easy temptation to fall into to move to yeah. uh, different unit types, different factions. Like, oh, well, I played two or three games with this cool new tag and it didn't work out, so I'm going to stop bringing them. Uh, versus, you know, I always get work done with these desperados, and so I'm going to bring them all the time. <laughs> and so, you know, sometimes... Sometimes you can be rewarded for bad decisions, and sometimes you're punished even though you made good decisions. And I think the the player that actually can identify which is which is the one who's going to be able to more quickly adapt to different factions and different yeah. play styles by extension. You know, the uh, I think that's absolutely true. The irony for me is I think I was too stubborn. Like, I stuck with mm-hmm. um, certain profiles, certain... certain constructs because I just didn't want to relent. I I wasn't seeing, I had a a vision for how I wanted to play Corregidor. And even though I wasn't seeing the results, I was like, I'm going to make this work. Damn it. You know, (laughs) like that was, that was how I was thinking about it. And I think I might've held on a little too long and been, if I had only been a little bit more flexible with how I was thinking about it. But I mean, at the same time, um, playing Corregidor differently wasn't what had drawn me to it. And I, mm-hmm. I you want to kind of enjoy what you're, what you're doing, what you're playing. So, yeah, it's very interesting that you bring that up, Devin, about, uh, I see this so often where a player will bring a tag and it just gets crushed and they, you know, and then they just don't ever play them again and think they're bad. And, uh, and it's just, it's unfortunate because they are a little hard to use, and sometimes you just get out out diced, and it's really hard to separate yourself from luck, or at least your mm-hmm. opinion of the game from right. the luck that had happened. And it's really unfortunate because I like seeing diversity in you know in the in the game, and that could be a meta thing too. Because if you run a tag in a primarily hacking meta, you're probably going to be sad. <laughs> it's true. You're in for a bad time. A bad day for sure. Well, this is good and stimulating conversation and sets us up for the rest of our episode tonight. I hope we have a lot of good, thoughtful reflection and maybe even a little disagreement here. Who's to yep. say? So, <laughs> so free flowing conversation. That's kind of the vision for tonight. We've got some general topics on on how we felt like the season went. Um, I like. I'd be curious to hear from you guys if you had any personal goals for yourself and how did those go as well um but maybe uh we'll start there like how first impressions like with with season 13 just in our rearview mirror mirror but right before the new season's about to be unveiled how do you feel like season 13 went for you or or maybe not specifically for you, but for how did it go? How was it executed in general? You know, I think that the season overall was fine. Like I, I've enjoyed other seasons more. I want more missions. And I don't, would you say solidly fine? Kind of like Jean-Pierre likes to say. (laughs) Solidly fine. Yeah. Uh, I would say that it was definitely adequate. I, I think the, difference in perception there is that 
most seasons have been very good. There, there have been individual mechanics that have not been so great uh, or have been extra frustrating, like Xenotex. But I would say that personally, I feel like the impressions that I had, without going back and listening, this is just what I remember of myself, you know, yeah, last right. year. We'll see but, how accurate uh, this is mapped onto. <laughs> right. <laughs> when people can listen and compare both side yeah. by side. Like, you said this before and you're saying this now. Well, I don't pay attention to what I say. Um, but yeah, I feel like a lot of my initial impressions were probably generally correct about the season uh, because a lot of them were subjective. Like, I didn't like how many uh, extra rules there were because there was a lot going on this season. And, you know, even looking at some events, there are definitely things where that affected scoring or I hear about people who ignored cer certain rules or certain like mission extras like defensive turrets or bike recon or uh, Antarctic terrain getting forgotten every game <laughs> type thing. Forget about it. Right. Like it, there's just a lot of little things to keep track of and a lot of kind of fiddly bits to this season that I didn't particularly care for. Um, bikes ended up not being as prevalent, barring forced bike missions, which I also still don't like by principle. Um, but I think bikes weren't, they weren't swarming tables that I was at, uh, but it doesn't mean that it was the correct call in my mind. Like just yeah. because they weren't everywhere doesn't mean that it was perfectly fine as is. Uh, I like, I, I'm curious. I want to dig into that with you a little bit more because I think it would be easy to straw man your argument as Devin hated season 13 when it came out and didn't like all the rules, didn't like all the bounty hunters, didn't like all the bikes, didn't like X, Y, and Z. Thinks it's all broken. Sure. Right, <laughs> right, right. But, but I don't. My memory is you weren't saying it was necessarily broken, mm -hmm. but it seemed to rub you aesthetically. You generally have a strong aversion to um, bounty hunters, for instance. Um, and beyond that, it seemed to rub you like aesthetically, design-wise, because you don't like being forced or like you said, mandated to take a certain profile. Right. Uh, and I don't think you said it was going to, the bikes were going to be broken, but you did say that they were going to be really powerful with the mimetism. Like, let's remind everyone of the rules mm -hmm. real quick. Does, does someone want to do a rundown of some of the rules? Yeah. So for bikes, what you got was the option to choose to be impetuous or not. The benefit which gives you the benefit of partial cover if you choose not to be impetuous. They got terrain total uh, universally, as well as all of the profiles got mimetism minus three if they did not have it already. Yeah. Yeah, so those were like the rules around bikes. I think maybe that was probably the most controversial piece. There were some, like you, like you highlighted, Devin, a bunch of other fiddly bits in terms of the missions. Um, so I, yeah, with the fact that bikes didn't show up in the, to the degree that they, that many were predicting, what do you have to say about that? Did they feel super powerful? I think that 
I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that I think that bikes in general felt incredibly powerful, but anytime you saw a bike, they were typically going to be very efficient uh, because the how the rules ended up lining up, the cheaper bikes, not the cheapest in the game, so they got benefits as well, but the, the kind of sweet spot for bikes were the upper teens and low 20s. I'm thinking like the Dynamos and the... Um, uh, the Mavericks and things like that. Those are units that didn't have mimetism because a lot of higher end bikes, uh, things that are broaching the near 30 and up range typically had mimetism already. Um, but things below that, they gained mimetism. Uh, if they were gunfighters, like those two examples, uh, being able to claim cover made it much easier for them to win face-to-face rolls. Um, Terrain rules were relevant in many missions, and I'm sure will continue to be, which I'm glad for that. I do think that the uh, Blizzard Zones are likely going to stick around for a while. Obviously, there'll be different terrain types. Form, that's, yeah. Right, because they, you know, they've been rotating season over season, like we had you know, mountain terrain this time, and then we had um, zero, zero G, G last season, yeah. and I believe we had jungle not that long ago. Uh, so those sorts of things are here to stay, I'm sure. Um, but it's all of these incremental changes without any costs. And I would say that bikes probably weren't where they needed to be before, but I still think that without any points adjustments, it's too much of a blanket upgrade to bikes as a whole, and it's not distributed evenly. And that's still the case, uh, even with uh, different factions that gain permanent access, non, non-ITS access to... Uh, bounty hunters, motorized bounty hunters, for instance, it's still a very uh, unequal playing field in terms of those advantages, which is why, like I said before, I, I liked the bonus to medium infantry getting forward deployment uh, or the bonus to tags getting uh, tack aware and extra damage and things like that when those had been the case in, in earlier seasons because most factions could benefit them from them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, Let me so throw it to you, Ian. How about you? Did you have any? Uh, what was your overall take on this season thirteen? I think that overall it was solid. Like um, Devin said, it, it's not been the most spectacular season as far as rules. Um, I think one of the interesting parts of the seasons is the advancing, like the meta story of the game, and. I feel like, you know, in the prior seasons that was pushed a little harder and this season and the last season, it's been kind of, I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's been pushed as hard. I thought that's probably just my perception of it. But it's probably the N4 changeover too. Is that the yeah, fluff move yeah. at the beginning of N4? Yep. That as well. But then as far as like the rules on it, like I like the terrain zones. I think that that's, a solid um, mechanic that, you know, all these models have different terrain skills and they rarely come up. And so putting the terrain zones, in this case, the blizzard zones this season as a mechanic in a lot of missions, I thought was really cool because it encouraged players, especially for like tournament games to look at certain models and profiles that, you know, had that terrain skill or terrain total. Um, you know, it, it, it was something like at, at the Krug, Frostbite had the terrain zones. 
and I was looking at models and you know running US and it was like, oh, Minutemen, they have terrain total. This is perfect. Not only they have infantry, but they have terrain total to just push through those zones. I also like the tactical aspect of deploying those zones in order to block off you know your opponent's movement or throw a saturation zone down in a fire lane to try to you know limit stuff there's a little bit of a a, a strategic placement of those that i think is kind of cool as far as my lo- my noctifer loved those saturation <laughs> yeah. zones loved yeah. them yeah right i bet um as far as like the tactical ride stuff and the bike recon um hit and miss on it i it was it was a lot of powerful bonuses that were given out to a lot of units, but kind of that were uneven across factions uh, for no points. You know, like you could argue that less of what the tags and medium infantry in prior seasons was similar, but it seemed like there, there was a lot more medium infantry across all factions and getting forward deployment wasn't, you know, super like it was powerful, but it wasn't like super powerful versus getting mimetism on a six point desperado is very powerful. That's something that, you know, would typically bump that model up to, you know, around nine points. So that for free was very powerful. The, Ability to you know be able to not be impetuous and get cover while it was not something I used often. There were some games where I was running a Maverick and specifically doing it with them because they had the kit with AP Spitfires or you know some other uh, equipment that they can take where they could be an effective gunfighter, ballistic skill twelve, having cover, having mimetism, having MSV one, having armor three. Yep. where they were survivable with the movement to, you know, get into where they needed to be to attack for no extra points cost. So while I don't think that they needed necessarily to bump the points on stuff, I think that it was a lot of too many additional rules at once. Uh, the mimetism frankly could have been left out uh especially because that was applied unequally since a lot of bikes already had the mimetism so -hmm. they didn't get any extra benefit versus all the other bikes did uh the terrain total i think that was fine especially with the terrain skills or the terrain uh zones added to the season that seemed absolutely fine to me to promote that as well as uh give a bonus that you know typically isn't used and costs very little on a profile yeah. Uh, I'm okay with the choice of being impetuous or not, especially as a way to kind of Love it. possibly beta test a, um, a mechanic change that they might go with going forward. Who knows? We'll have to see what happens there. Uh, but I like that one. Cause even though it, it's, some models are going to get more benefit from it than others. It just felt very even and not something that would necessarily, constitute a points change across the board in my mind uh, as far as some of the other stuff like the 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 turrets i could take or leave uh i don't think that they had a whole lot of impact in the games that 
I played that they were in. I like the idea of the turrets, but I would almost prefer it be a, uh, they never did anything. Exactly. In my games, they never did anything. I think I had one, one kill a model one time. What I think I would prefer is if they did something similar to where, you know, we had the data tracker or the, the, the snow ops or something like that. But instead of that, it's a, a one use disposable, you know, like you place a mine, but instead of the mine, it's the turret kind of thing. Dude, so you could, I like, think that would be so cool. Yeah, on like, like you know, on, yes, on a specific engineer. So it would encourage mm-hmm. taking the engineer profiles. You know, the other, other things of the season, like we always talk about, we want more missions. We keep getting the same mission cycled over and over and over. There's 20 missions. Swap out five missions There's a season. Yeah, they're they're okay. Yeah, yeah. There's not, but they're, nobody okay. plays swap, annihilation. Yeah, but swap out five missions every season. Try some new stuff. I was happy with a lot of the changes that did happen in in particular missions this season, as far as how they were scored and you know changing up like you know needing to do more classifieds and things, so that it meant that some of the missions ended up. Like firefight ended up being like yes, it was still a killing mission, but you still had to construct to be able to get some classifieds. And while yes, you could win the mission without doing classifieds, it was you know if you're playing a tournament where every objective point counts in the long run, it was, I think it's promoted. So it is important. So it, was, it promoted you know actually having your specialist and having a more of a balanced list instead of just leaning super hard into killing stuff. Yeah. And and I, I I like that. Uh, I think that some of those changes to missions were very good. But I want to see some new missions. We've been playing right. we'll, the, we'll, the same we'll ones the over and over and over. Okay, we we'll get years. into the future in a sec. <laughs> All right. How about you, uh, Zoka? Man, Devin, you're going to hate me. Yeah. I I think the cost points... Uh, or, sorry, I think that the points staying the same... And the buff to the bikes is totally fine. I think that you shouldn't lock yourself into having to adjust a points of a profile based off of what they get uh, equipment-wise. Now, so like, for example, when Andromeda was just busted um, and they, they nerfed her, they nerfed her by, I think they, they reduced... Her, her infiltration, infiltration by three. value mm-hmm. and like she lost a point or something like that. I think so. Yeah, I think she went down a point and went to infiltration plus three instead of plus I think six. If they just made her more expensive, it would have been fine. Um, or just like swapped, like kept kept the price the same and swapped it around. Um, but okay, so I'm getting a little off track. But the, I think what is more important than the points that you spend for a skill or equipment is how they interact with each other. Like yeah. a mimetism six on a sniper rifle to me is worth more than a mimetism on a dude with a shotgun. Yeah. Granted, there's like, you know, different benefits there, but to me, I'm like, mm-hmm. that's, that's fine. I look at those bikes changes. I'm like, that's fine. Maybe not the mimetism. That's, that's a little, little hot. Well, I agree. And that's the thing, exactly, is that all the lower point, like anything in, say, the high teens, low 20s and below. Yeah, like the impetuous, and 
increasingly so the cheaper that they get, impetuous tends to be a bonus. Anything higher than that, impetuous tends to be a detriment because it's harder for that to survive. And that's a big detriment when you are spending, you know, let's say, Adelant or not Adelanta, uh, Penthesilea before her changes when she was uh, in almost 40 points. Well, that's a big deal compared to a six-point Desperado. The six-point Desperado loves being impetuous. Penthesilea does not. Yeah. And so, yeah, I completely agree. I think that, and we have, with denested rules, the, the design technology is already in place. You can say, yeah. Desperado, like you can just take out the clause that says motorcycles can't gain cover, just drop it from the rule entirely. Done. And then, for models that are impetuous, you can have Desperado impetuous, um, you know, six points, mm -hmm. and Desperado not impetuous, probably about the same. But then it increased for some of the higher tier bikes and things like that. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think the mimetism needs to be applied, but I like that Agreed. the if you have impetuous and non-impetuous profiles for bikes, so that way you just choose enlist building instead, and then you remove the clause that prevents them from gaining cover by virtue of being a bike. I'm totally fine with that. I'm even fine with them having terrain total, maybe carte blanche, maybe not. I could go either way on that. Maybe what? Carte blanche like across all bikes. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, either way is fine, or just specific ones that I don't yeah, specifically I think, care. I think it might be worth highlighting this. Um, I wonder what they're... We, when we're defining w was Season 13 successful or not, I wonder what CB's goal was. Because if their goal was to get the community to, to think about playing bikes a little bit more, or test run some rules, or think about how they could... Um, workshop bikes. I think season 13 was pretty successful. I thought it was you, great. I think you can great. like argue that it wasn't, it wasn't um, aesthetically streamlined as a process. It wasn't ref a refined approach, but because it was embedded in a season, not in the, the basic rules of the game, I can guarantee you this. If they take away all the bonuses that were given to bikes, They'll go back people to being unplayable. Yeah, people would go, yeah. wouldn't be wouldn't be playing them next I mean, season. Unplayable I mean, might be too far. I mean, yeah, Desperados would still get played because they're six points because exactly. they're so cheap. But, but they're also ones that don't need the bonuses. Like I, I will say that I abused Desperados having mimetism because Desperados having mimetism and six cents meant that they were dodging on thirteens, and you were generally taking a negative, additional negative to shoot at them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's and one so they're dice. just. It's not reliable. I mean, the 130 some odd points of models my one six point Desperado killed at Krug in one game says that it's pretty good. Yeah, well, not that's reliable. I don't care. Hey, I have one thing that confirms my bias, and I am sticking with it, damn it. <laughs> confirmation. Ah, I was going to say confirmation bias right there. I Listen, yeah. I think. I think it was clear that bikes needed uh, some kind of makeover. Agreed. And I think we all knew it at the beginning of the season. I think we may we disagreed on how and what what way that should take place. But um, I think if their their goal was to get people to play aspects of the game that were being ignored. Generally, N4 has done a good job of that across the board. A lot of the things that in N3 were ignored got reintroduced 
in N4, but bikes never made that cross that threshold. They never, mm-hmm. they weren't getting played that first season. So I look at it like that's a win on their part. Yeah. I will also say from an, uh, from like a conceptual place, I remember thinking I loved the different changes to the rules because most of them were bonuses, not negatives. They mm-hmm. really learned a lesson from previous seasons where they like handicapped you for stuff. This time around, it was all like pluses and the net result was it made the game faster. And I remember getting excited about, I like seeing speed and movement and all those kinds of skills in this game. The faster this game plays, and I mean like speed, not in terms of time, but in terms of movement skills, I feel like that's when infinity starts to really hum. Well, and I really like the Antarctic terrain thing, giving uh, terrain total, mountain terrain, and climbing plus the extra inch of movement on their first skill board wide. I thought that was very entertaining. It's fun, but it's so easy to forget. Exactly. Like, it's a a low-impact rule that you have to keep track of on a model-per-model basis, which I don't like. Like, Mm -hmm. I I like the idea of what it's representing, but I don't like the implementation. Mm. Sure, sure. So now, now I know you touched on this a little bit, Devin, but um, my opinion of that free ITS biker that you got to take is it is the best model in the game. Hands down, for free, I have seen it very consistently perform like 90% plus. I'm just like, how is this? Yeah, this is not okay. Yeah. I would say it is definitely the best profile in the game for its cost. Yes, yeah. <laughs> a free. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, oh, I you get it. It's fine, right? I dislike uh, bike recon. I still dislike bike recon. I bought a bounty hunter, and I still don't like that I have it um, because it's forcing that to be played, and it's the same profile. Uh, which is something that Andrew kind of touched on earlier as far as previous opinions that I still hold, where I like the idea of trying to let everyone play in that space, but I think that it's indicative of that it was such an uneven playing field to begin with that it even happened where everyone had to get to this bike because so many factions are without bikes. Like, if you look through the game, I I think... uh, Listen to our previous episode of season 13, where I actually did the math on that because I don't remember. But it was something, it's something like, I want to say a quarter, I want to say a quarter of all factions slash sectorials have access to bikes otherwise before motorized bounty hunters were added. And especially mm-hmm. before ITS uh, bike recon bikes were added. I think that's uh, fine. Touch, like, touch the stuff that doesn't get touched in the 25%. And that's fine, but the thing is, that means that everyone, everyone is playing these these motorized bounty hunters, which I don't like conceptually. Where I'm going to see like these missions, I guarantee I must bring one or be at a handicap, and my opponent is doing the same, and that we both have these exact same profiles despite playing very disparate factions potentially. Yeah, like that just doesn't. It doesn't sit right with me. I, I don't like homogenizing factions in games yeah. where they're intended to be distinct. Yeah. Uh, I want to get into that. Let's, let, can we, 
Can we, well, I, before we get into that, I do want to ask this question. Mm-hmm. How about personally? How did you guys feel like I did this whole self-disclosure thing at the beginning? So you guys learned about how my season 13 went, and it was definitely a growing pains. Uh, uh, Azoka, how about you? Like, you feel, I feel like you came into your own season 13. Like, the, all the promise at that was at the end of season 12, like, manifested themselves in season 13 would you say that's true did you have some so i don't think it was the the season itself that had any any effect on it really it was just like i'm just learning like learning to play the game better over time and that's really like season or not i don't think it would have had a the season had no impact on it i got yeah, yeah i don't think okay. so i was using that more as like a time stamp for sure on your life <laughs> we'll forever remember the season 13 that Ahsoka had. It's Where the only moment the I ever came. had. <laughs> <laughs> it's all down here, hill from here, boys. Yeah, right. Well, it was nice while it lasted. So did you have any personal goals about the ITS season? No. no. Yeah, okay. I didn't have any really any goals, but I'm going to look to set one for season 14. Okay. How about you, Ian? Did you have any personal goals? No, not really. Just have fun. <laughs> okay, uh, Devin, did you have any personal goals? <laughs> so, um, pressure's on. <laughs> short answer is no, like everybody but you, because I'm not, uh, I'm not project oriented in that regard. I guess. Yeah, you guys um, all suck. I was like so, the only one that had like personal goals and aspirations for the season. So I think for me, it doesn't really come in a season by season level as much as it is by maybe more so by event like because it's yeah. much more it's much more yeah. finite it's much uh, easier to measure uh, and part of that is depending on the goal that you set of course but i'd say that that's usually where i would see some sort of goal that i had is i'm trying to measure how i'm doing at a specific event as opposed to across the season and the season is just kind of the framework in which those happen to me it's it overall has a somewhat minor effect season over season like it's not like i'm going to play the entire game of infinity very differently this season compared to last season yeah. assuming i'm if i were to play the same faction which i do cuz i love my alif but see, that's so funny. I'm like the, the complete opposite. Like when I go into a season or a stretch towards a, a certain tournament or whatever, I usually have something I'm working on. So I remember prior to COVID, I was working on movement. I like jettisoned like all these burst four weapons and just focused on movement skills. And that upped my game totally. Uh, and it yeah. was. What might be good, Air, uh, Andrew? You should you should project that to us. Give us a challenge for season fourteen. Okay, <laughs> I, I will. I will ponder it. I will go up to the mountain and return with my face glowing and words of wisdom <laughs> to share with you. Excellent. I'm I so look excited. forward to seeing the tablets before whatever debauchery below causes you to smash them upon us. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Devin. All right, that's the inner Baptist that you've got there, right there. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So Ian brought up the, the, the desire and I'm with you, Ian, the desire to see like a revamp. Where does this go? 
I would absolutely like to see some new missions, a fresh take on some missions. I think we've talked on this podcast a little bit about that. Um, yeah. So uh, if you want to like explore that a little bit more, Ian, I think it's put, put your flag in the ground. Yeah. I just, I think that, you know, because we've been playing the same missions year after year after year with only, you know, one or two getting kind of swapped out at a time. And then, you know, like, Frostbite's this season. Frostbite wasn't last season. Frostbite was two seasons ago. Like, there's not a ton of variation. And yes, they do update the individual missions and change up, you know, some of the the way they're scored or some of the special rules in them kind of thing to keep them interesting, which is fine. But I just, I would love to see some new missions. You know, there there's plenty of good mission ideas out there. There's even some very old missions that you'll get revamped and brought back. I think there's just, there's a lot of potential to have more variety in the mission set. I agree. I I think Nathan has pointed out the challenges. I do think one of you observed that the missions that they did use this year were interesting. They refreshed them. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the challenge with that is they're so familiar as missions go that when they do a little tweak or a change to the mission, for some of us who've been playing year after year, it's easy for us to lose sight of the changes mm-hmm. um, because familiarity breeds contempt, right? Like you just don't even bother to think about the mission because you feel like you already know it. It's like, look, I'm playing supplies again. Cool. I can do this right. in my it's sleep. A, it's a good, it's a, it's good a good mission mission to have. Yeah, it's a good mission. I actually love playing supplies, but it's also a mission that I can play in my sleep because yeah. played it so you've played it so many times. So let me ask you this: um, How do you feel? So, like, you're talking about breathing in five new missions into mm-hmm. into the the list. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you guys feel about even like just those five? how they just mesh in such a like fun and neat way with the rest of the other 15 or, or 14 missions that are around in a tournament scene. Cause if you got five, the, what I've noticed is if you've got five missions for your tournament, it, it very in like a, a unique and interesting way affects your list building. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and like you could just breathe maybe even four new ones in and still get that, that you know, uh, adaptability. I guess. Hmm. No, I I don't disagree with that at all. Um. I just yeah. I just I think there needs to be some change up, and like they have brought in some new missions that are interesting. Like um, for instance, uh, like unmasking mm-hmm. and mind wipe are very similar missions. In terms of like structure, you know, you have to do this before you can do this kind of thing. Um, I personally don't like unmasking. I just, it's not a mission mission that I, that I enjoy playing. I love playing mind wipe. I think it's a fantastic mission and on something that has a very similar basis, the way that things were changed for mind wipe, I thought just elevated it. And it just made that mission a lot more fun. Similarly, 
highly classified versus countermeasures. Again, very similar missions, very, you know, you need almost identical list building to do them, but countermeasures has a whole nother like level of strategy to it where, you know, you're discarding some cards that, you know, your, your opponent might be able to get this next turn. So you're going to kind of discard that one. So they can't kind of thing. There, there's, there's a little bit of a more of a meta game going on. And I think that that refreshed that mission as well as there's the potential for all 20 classifieds to pop up in that mission. So, we, you know, if you built to be able to do all of the classifieds, you actually have the potential to do all the classifieds, unlike highly classified where it's the same, you know, it's set four. Whatever yeah. they are, it's the set four. And if, you know, you uh, didn't get sabotage, but you loaded up on D charges, like you're not using those to accomplish that mission. I think if Maybe you do not- highly classify, you should set the mission, set the cards before the tournament. And I actually agree with that. I think that that would be for highly classified would be a very good thing to do is to set, you know, everybody is going to be playing with these four specific classifieds and it puts it on an even kind of rules field across the tournament yeah. for everybody for that round. I like that idea a lot. Um, and it separate know. that from like countermeasures pretty well, I think. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I, I like I like some of the weird missions like rescue. Rescue is Pegram. an absolute pain in the ass, but I like the mission because you have to do some different stuff in it. You know, it, it's it's just one of those weird missions that it, I know a lot of people don't like rescue. I think it's a fantastic mission. I, I feel like honestly, people who don't like rescue, that's carryover from like three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's actually, it, it, it's been refined oh, and it's yeah, a great it, mission. It's true. I mean, yeah, yeah it yeah, was yeah. much less fun. I'll say, <laughs> but you know, like we have biotech for, and we have armory and then there's panic room, which is both together. And it was, I think that was a very refreshing mission. I was glad that they brought back armory and, and mm-hmm. panic room. Yeah. I remember really missing those missions, those kinds Mm -hmm. of missions when they went away. And I understand that they're challenging for tournament organizers of big events to be able to pull off. I get that. I understand the critique Mm -hmm. there. But uh, I was really glad when those came back and just played a game of Panic Room uh, last week. And just so much fun. It's just a fun just different dynamic for sure. Yeah. 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 So, and, and it's just the thing I think is that, you know, there, there is so, so much potential in the design space of missions that it's a shame that we end up playing the same, like, like 25 missions really that about, it's about 25 missions that just get rotated through every year and no the, the annihilation's never going to go away nobody plays it but it's never going to go away because it's the a basic bog standard but like you know supplies isn't going to go away so there's a lot of these that are never going to change but out of the ones that do change it's like you know we just keep getting the, the same ones kind of cycled through and i think that there there's a potential really for there to be you know 40 missions and they're swapping out five of them each year yeah. Or four or okay. five, you know, whatever. All right. So here's another question on where this is all headed. Um, we had a bunch of um, re-updates of some old factions. Morat's mm-hmm. got updated. Steel Phalanx. Mm-hmm. 
got two different uh, players on the podcast who play those two right now, Ian Azoka and uh, Devin. So Devin, here's uh, you kind of alluded to this. You don't like from an aesthetic place. You don't like the homogenizing of factions. Uh, break down your critique of. I, by the way, I think I agree with you on this. I I I think what we're seeing is a a move towards the mean in terms of across the factions and less diversity. But could you mm-hmm. m- make, maybe critique what you see happening right now um, in terms of game development uh, on a faction by faction basis? I would say that. In broad strokes that there have been pushes to kind of broaden the tool sets of more recent factions, like most revamps over the last few years in particular, they come to mind. It's about expanding on what a faction is already capable of. Um, The one that kind of jumps out as being perhaps too far in some ways uh, is Corregidor. Corregidor feels like a kind of do-everything sort of faction. And its main vulnerability is obvious lieutenants and the like. Um, Now, with other factions, there are still some kind of hard-set rules here and there. But those lines get kind of blurred as we go along. Uh, So, like with Steel Phalanx and with Marats, troopers that are uh, in camouflage aren't there. Like that's that's kind of a hard rule that is still largely the case. But uh, both of them have more forward deployment or infiltration than before, and you know more more access to mines uh, in the case of Steel Phalanx. So there are some things that are kind of diluting sectoral uniqueness and. It's always fun to have new tools, and I think that that's that's appealing uh, when you see like, oh, well, I can play this faction. I get all of these these new new options. Uh, but I think that it can very easily go too far in making those factions not really feel very distinct, uh, or feel like there's not really a downside to play them. Like, why would I play? You know, X sectoral when Y sectoral for the same faction has all the stuff I care about and then some that this other facts sectoral has. Um, and then even in vanilla is not really safe from this trend because vanilla is, of course, going to be very versatile and has access to all of the tools, which is, you know, by and large the point. But the proliferation of mercenary profiles, uh, particularly from secondary games, is kind of having that same sort of effect. Because if you see Diggers or Liberto or, to a lesser extent, Trip Hammers, um, Krakots, uh, you know, you see these things that are in vanilla lists. If if profiles are able to outshine entire vanilla factions in multiple factions, like if you're going to see this show up in a vanilla Nomad list and a vanilla Ariadna list, and a vanilla uh, combined list, there's something wrong with the profile. Like, there's an issue there that needs to be addressed. Yeah, even beyond my normal kind of uh, dislike for diluting faction aesthetics, 
just mechanically that speaks to an issue. Yeah, I was going to say um, when they came out with the uh, Kickstarter for Tag Raid, mm-hmm. right? And then they started porting in all those other mercenaries. I, I started getting a little touch of the Devon. I was getting a little, a little grumpy, a little salty about this. I'm like, okay, they've gone too far now. It's too much. <laughs> yeah, well, like we didn't have it, but the beast or the the tag raid Harris teams that were talked about, we haven't gotten those yet. I doubt we'll get them before the end of the season, but they may show up next season since mm-hmm. we're gonna see uh, tag raid release. But yeah, like, oh, well, you need to take a digger, a prospector, and a beast hunter in this Harris, and it's going to be free. I really, really hope that that is not the case, and that that has been nixed since it was announced, because, yeah, that's just... Exactly, like, no thank you. Not interested. I also think that, frankly, to combat some of the faction dilution issues, I think that there should be a few more sectorial specific models and or profiles. Yeah. I like that idea and Agreed. vanilla specific. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Completely. I, I think that there should be some stuff that you only get if you're playing vanilla or the specific sectorial, like the Guaylos is one of the perfect examples. You only get it if you're playing Shazvasti. It's not in vanilla. Yeah. But you don't get the avatar if you're playing a sectorial. Totally. I remember when um, OSS came out I and they put um, post-humans in OSS, and I actually made the argument, I don't think post-humans need to be in OSS. I, I, I felt like I feel like you could be very competitive um, in that sectorial without post-humans, but of course, mm-hmm. since they're there, you're going to add them. Whereas yeah. vanilla, I think you have to have post-humans to be successful. Like, it it needs... The vanilla Aleph needs them. So, okay, a couple other topics, Chris. Uh, we had the um, fire team rules update happen during this season. What do you feel? Yeah. What's the effect that that had on the meta and where it's uh, all headed? I think it was a very, very healthy effect on the meta. So, they now I didn't ever really truly experience the Kamau of death um, because I feel like our meta just never never really touched that or like you know like the bolts that you could just never get past and stuff like that I just I don't know we had I, it. I never had both personally had both. maybe <laughs> yeah. I just yeah well, our, just, our meta also focuses on on movement and uh, skills and like you know AD troopers and all kinds of other stuff to get around it like like yeah I that's just how we try. That that's why they didn't make an impact on me. But uh, um, statistically, I suppose I think it was very healthy because it made those you know those link teams of death want to cost more, and it still kept a little bit of faction like identity in, for example, Morats who can more easily field a fat field a full pure link team. So I thought that, that was pretty cool. Alternatively, I also didn't really feel the effect of it in many games. Like a lot of people just kind of uh, one opponent that I had at Salt Lake Showdown just ran the rockets, uh, the Rokots, the uh, Ariadne for Cosmoflot, and then one of the missile launcher total immune dudes. And it's like, this is probably just as oppressive as, you know, some of those other things. So mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't feel a lot of like 
drastic effects from it, but I do think that it was very healthy. Game. Cool. So as we're wrapping up, what are your kind of thoughts, guys, about where this is all headed? What do you want to see? Uh, I'm curious particularly about where does uh, TTS fit in with all this? So it had its day during um, the pandemic. That's where it really kind of came into its own and, and was shining. Um, I don't, I, we don't have a real strong TTS community here in Colorado. That's not to say that there aren't f- some folks at play for sure, but um, how do you integrate TTS into the game um, going forward, especially in a tournament scene? That's one thing I'm really curious about is it feels to me like um, the in real life games versus TTS games have a real different feel, operate a little bit different. Yeah. I haven't, I don't play TTS. Azoka, you do. Um, Devin, you did it some. Mm-hmm. But like when people are able to like just harvest games uh, so, or tournaments uh, online, how does that affect the tournament scene? I think in in one level that's very healthy for the tournament scene because you can get a lot of information, you know, very easily and very quickly. But they're going to be very like drastically different. Because the meta is so, uh, I, I maybe maybe defined, or at least it feels so defined in the TTS uh, meta um, that you may take something that just wouldn't work in that meta. Whereas alternatively, if you took it to a regional tournament, it would work there. But you do get a lot of information, you know, like like over quick time. Also, I believe that the one weird, one strange thing about the TTS tournaments that I've played is. You have you're not limited by time, which is a huge, very huge factor to tournament play. And totally. you're also not playing five games in a weekend. You're playing those five games over five weeks. And it's uh, uh, our our new local member can attest to it. It's taxing. It's very different. Yeah, I wonder- it's 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 very different. Like I think that it's great for rules retention. And I think that it's good for repetition on certain tactics. From the limited experience that I have, the tables are generally more dense uh, or very open. Like there's, it, it seems to be very extreme examples of tables. And at least when I was playing more frequently, there wasn't as uh, significant a variety, which is just a huge factor in what is valuable in a list. Uh, you know, the denser things are, the more valuable warbands and templates and close combat units become, etc. And the more open tables are, of course, you know, you have the reverse effect where long range units are going to have a lot more intrinsic value to your game. Uh, but I think, by and large, the tables that I saw that were played commonly lean towards the dense side. And so it just kind of skews what you might expect at a game. I just think... Um, I, I feel like... I wonder if Corvus Belli is going to engage this as an issue. Like, how and how they navigate it. Um, because it is such a different thing, a different beast, how do you integrate it into your... ITS international tournament system, right? Um, or will they just ignore it and just let it exist and um, 
we, the community will find some kind of equilibrium. I don't know. I'm just, I, I find that a curious dynamic that no one's really engaged yet because we're just coming out of a two year pandemic, you know? I think the, the largest event, uh, the infinity global league, I believe, I think that that was all officially reported as events. If I might be most, wrong on that, I didn't participate. Most, okay. most yeah. of the, my understanding is most of these tournaments get reported. So, yeah. So it's interesting because that also one, if the tables are shared amongst the entire TTS meta, that's going to reinforce those choices and behaviors. Uh, whereas, you know, we have play in our local meta here and we have a, a handful of tables and then you go to another state and they have their own set of tables and so on and so forth. But the, the TTS community likewise has their own kind of set of, of circumstances. Uh, I also seem to recall that there's more kind of house ruling in some regards, not every event, but I know that there are some events where people will do house rules and the like, which again, change how the game is played inherently. Uh, so it's interesting to see. I don't know how much Corvus Belly would directly interact with it uh, beyond just, hey, you get a tournament code and you can enter your tournament just like anything else and kind of leave it at that. I don't know if there's... I don't foresee, at least in the near future, them giving official support in terms of, okay, well, we're going to start taking our ZBrushed sculpts and have them colorized and importable and you can buy this pack uh, on TTS or something. I don't really see that being a likely direction that they'll go, but, you know, could be surprised. Cool. Well, we're kind of getting up against our time limit here, so let's wrap things up and with our final thoughts, guys, if you could just give a um, a thought to what you where where you would like to see season fourteen go um, for your final thought. But before we get to our final thoughts, we want to remind you of Patreon. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. We really appreciate uh, when you do. It uh, helps us out a ton. Not only uh, does it help us, but it grants you a number of benefits. So um, we'd love to get you some more extra content. And there's some other little fun things that we're starting to be able to do that we're looking forward to unveiling in the coming weeks and months ahead. So 100% of any funds gets put right back into the podcast. So find a link to our Patreon page in the show notes, as well as a link to our Discord channel. And speaking of Discord, come join our growing community. Uh, super supportive of everything Infinity. With that said, Azoka, Ian, Devin, what are your final thoughts? I want to see all remotes for Season 14 get Super Jump. And Mimitism minus three. And frenzy. That would include tractor mules. Yeah, all remotes, baby. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> for for solely the lulls. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> okay. How, how about you, Devin? Final thoughts. Um, yeah, I, I think that increasing mission variety, uh, I think, is going to be what kind of continues to drive ITS. So the more that that happens, uh, the more interesting the seasons will be. And I think leaning on that over season special rules is going to be healthier for the game. 
Uh, I like the introduction of um, additional classifieds. I think that being pushed to have more specialists and the like in your lists is always good. That's one of the things that I find to be kind of defining for the infinity experience. And so I think shifting that direction and having fewer conditional hard to remember rules that have low impact. No, I think that that's, that's the trade-off that I would like to see. Awesome. How about you, Ian? Yeah, like I said, mission variety. That's the biggest thing for me. I also, you know, I, I think that some of the different stuff that they've been doing with the special rules, they could do a little bit differently. And that that's that's fine, neither here nor there really. I I'm just excited to see what they do. But as far as uh things I want them to keep, I love the terrain zones thing. I enjoyed it last season. I think it was even better this season. And I'm super excited to see where they go next season with that. And I'm just calling it now. It's going to be jungle terrain. And the reason is Tarlock fire teams. Because they get the weird bonus of getting jungle terrain if they're built in a specific way. So that leads. I'm just saying, man, it's going to be jungle terrain so that your Morats get a bonus. They can use that bonus. It's going to be awesome. I want to see more unique fire teams like that. I do too. That was going to be mine. You guys are stealing mine. <laughs> no! That's mine. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I would like to see. I would like to see unique fire teams um introduced that don't just up raw firepower, but uh up flexibility, um create unique uh opportunities that you can leverage to your advantage. Either that, or I want it to be raining drop troops. That's the those are the two. Those are my two unique fire teams, or let it rain. Let it rain, baby. <laughs> On that mission note, gets firefight rules. <laughs> everybody, totally. I would love it. <laughs> they they're coming after you from all over the place. You just you, hey, I bet you that would improve people's deployment skills incredibly. No but kidding. on that note. This has been Andrew, Azoka, Devin, and Ian. And that's the meta.